discover the inherent power of God in you. Whether there are challenges or not, we are still the same. We are constant. God is constant. God does not change. And that is the life that we have received. It says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is the same life we have also received. We are also the same yesterday, today, and forever. What kind of life? We, we, we are the same because we have the same life with Christ. So when you think about God, think about you. Because everything He is. That is why He told Abraham, He said, I am your, your exceeding great reward. God gave Himself as a reward to Abraham. And we are the seed of Abraham. Therefore, we have inherited God Himself. Listen to Pastor Oti Boatin as Christ is magnified in you. Okay, so I'm sharing concerning supernatural accomplishments through our union with Christ, isn't it? This is our year of supernatural accomplishments. No be so. And last Sunday, I started sharing with you concerning um, how united and how one we are with Jesus. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 30. What's, what is written in John 10, 30? I and my Father are one. Amen. Isn't it? Now, when Jesus said that, the Jews took up stones to stone him. That's what the Bible says. They took up stones to stone him, to kill him. Why? Because by uttering those words, what he was saying was that he was God. Wow. And Jesus, before he died, said something about us as well. In John chapter 17, verse 20, Jesus says something very powerful. He says, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That is you and I, isn't it? Next verse. So Jesus prayed for you. Tell me about Jesus prayed for you. I, I, I feel special knowing that Jesus prayed for me. He says, I pray that they all may be one. Okay? Go to verse 21. I thought we were in verse 21. It says, that they all may be one. I'm praying that all of them who believe in me through their word may be one. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Next verse. And the glory which thou givest me, I have given them. That they may be one, even as we are one. Next verse. I in them, and thou in me. That they may be made perfect in one. Wow. I in them, say I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one. So essentially what Jesus said in John 10, 30 concerning himself was what he was praying for, for you and I. If you read in John chapter 14, verse 20, look at John 14, 20. Can you read this to me one to go? You shall know and ye in me, and I in you. Have you seen it? 
He says, at that day, what day? At the day when I leave this earth. Okay, the days that will follow my death, burial, and resurrection. After those days, you shall know that I am in my Father. And you also are in me, and I am in you. Amazing. So we are united with him. We are one with him. The born-again experience brings us into unity with God, brings us into union with God. He that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit with him, isn't it? I showed you last week how that we are one with him in spirit, we are one with him in soul, and we are one with him in body. I showed it to you, so I don't want to go through it again. And I showed you how that we are one, our oneness with him is described with various things. So agriculturally, he uses an agricultural term in John chapter 15 verse 5 and says that I am the vine, ye are the branches. The life that flows through the vine is the same life that flows through the branches, isn't it? It lets you know how one we are. And he goes on to say that without me, ye can do nothing. We are one with him. Say we are one with him. Then he lets us know our oneness with him through anatomy as well. Wow. Say anatomy. Omer is studying anatomy in school. It's not a small thing. He lets us know that he's the head and we are the body. Isn't it? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 21 and 22. Look at Ephesians 1, 21 and 22. It says, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Next verse. And has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Next verse. Then it says, which is his body? The church is his body. The fullness of him that filleth all and in all. So he is the head. Say Jesus is the head. And I am the body. So we are, we are one. You don't call the head prince and call the body uh, Vincent. You can't call, we can't call Vincent's head Vincent and call his body prince. Or call his body Ajwa. It doesn't make any sense. When we say Vincent, we are talking about the full person. So we are one with him because he's the head and we are the body. Do you see? There's no difference. There's no separation. Whoever touches you has touched the Lord. We are one with him in spirit, in soul, and in body. And lets us know through various means. Through various means. One of them is through anatomy. Then he also used architectural terms to describe our oneness. I remember mentioning it to you, isn't it? First Corinthians chapter 3. He lets us know that he is the foundation and we are the building. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. Paul said, other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the foundation. Then when you go to verse 9, go to verse 9, 1 Corinthians 3. I'm just recapping a little bit for you. Okay? For we are laborers together with God. Then it says, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. He lets us know that we are his building and he's the foundation. Hallelujah. 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 5. Look at 1 Peter 2, 5. It says, Ye also, as lively or living stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. He calls us living stones and says that we are built up a spiritual house. Verse 6. 
Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. He's talking about Jesus, who is the foundation for us. Then he says, Unto you therefore which believe, he is a precious stone, but unto them which believe not, unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallow, the same is made the head of the corner. Hallelujah. But he lets us know that he is the head, we are the body. He is the foundation, we are the building. First Peter, we are in First Peter chapter 2 now, right? Now, go down to, um, okay, go to Ephesians chapter 2. Let's read from verse 19. Ephesians 2 from verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Verse 20. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Then it says, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So Jesus is the chief cornerstone of the foundation. Then it says, in whom, next verse, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. Verse 22. In whom ye also are builded together. He says, ye also are what? Builded together for an habitation of God. How? Through the Spirit. So we are, we are the building and he is the foundation. We are the expression of who he is. This building will not be up without a foundation. If you go to the back, there are three stories at the back. That three story cannot be there if there's no correct foundation. If the foundation is not good for three stories, you can't have three stories. How the foundation is determines what kind of a building you can put up. So we are the expression of his, his glory, his beauty, his power. The tree is known by its fruits. Where does the fruit come? The fruit comes on the branches. So we are the expression of who he is. We share in his oneness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So you are special. Tell your neighbor you are very special. Tell the other neighbor you are very special. Tell the neighbor behind you you are very special. You are not ordinary. You are the expression of Christ. Here on earth. Because you are one with him. You know Jesus said, I and my father are one. We can also say now that I am I and Christ are one. And hence you and the Father are one. Amazing. It's an amazing reality. Now just imagine a student thinking and knowing that his mind is the mind of Christ. If you think and know that your mind is the mind of Christ, what can't you do in your exam? What can't you retain in your mind? You will not lose anything in your mind. Even at age 90, you will still remember things. Kenneth Hagen at age 85 could still remember scriptures. And he could, he could still quote scriptures. Hallelujah. See, I have the mind of Christ. It's an amazing reality. And he wants us to live from that, from, from there. He wants us to live from that reality that we are one with him. That he's not far from us. He's not somewhere and we are also somewhere. No, we are one with him. We share in his, in his image. We share in his likeness. First John chapter 4, verse 17. Look at First John 4, 17. Herein is our love made perfect. Herein is our love what? Made perfect. That we may have boldness in the day of crisis. Hmm? The word judgment is crisis. In the day of crisis. Your, your fruitfulness and your victory in the day of crisis is dependent on this consciousness. Because as he is... So are we in this world. 
as he is in his glory, as he is in his power, as he is in his, in his beauty, in his love, in his kindness, in his joy, in his grace, so are you in this world. Tell anybody you're not ordinary. How would that business do if Jesus touched it? Well, Jesus is touching it because he's touching it in you. The only problem is that you don't know it. God knows it. Jesus knows it. You are the one who doesn't know it. So he's telling you to know so that you can touch it with that consciousness that as I'm touching this thing, Jesus is the one who is touching it. As I'm moving around, it's Jesus who's moving around. My eyes are his eyes. My ears are his ears. My legs are his legs. Wow. Some people prefer to be told that God is far away from them. And that God is looking for them to destroy them. And that God is looking for them to shoot them and bring them down. But he's letting you know that he's one. Because of your new birth. Because of the new birth, you are now one with him. He has brought you into oneness with him. You didn't have any wisdom to come into oneness with him. You couldn't have, but he did everything. Christianity is about Jesus Christ. It's not about you or about the other person. Christianity is all about Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And what he did for you. And how you are supposed to accept what he did for you. That's all. That's what Christianity is all about. Okay? Start looking unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of your faith. Start looking unto him. That's, he's the one you are to look up to, not to yourself. If you look to yourself, Paul said, in my flesh there's no good thing. Look unto him in you. Hallelujah. So we are one with him, right? He wants us to live from there. The reason why Jesus came, one of the major reasons why Jesus came is so that you can live through him. First John chapter 4, verse 9. Look at First John 4, 9. First John 4, 9. He says, In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world. For what purpose? So that we might live through him. He sent him into the world so that you might live through him. He wants you to live your life through Jesus. Live your life through Christ. Not live your life through your own mind or through your own ability, but through Christ, through Jesus. So your job is to know about Jesus and know how to live through him. Hallelujah. Just imagine if you knew that your body is one with Christ. Can cancer dwell in Jesus' body? Jesus didn't have cancer when he was here on earth. How about hypertension? How about a sickle cell? Which other one do you want? Do you have in your mind? Diabetes. Which one again? HIV. COVID. Yeah, because as far as the Bible is concerned, it lets you know that this body of yours is the body of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13. Look at it. 1 Corinthians 6, 13. Everything is in the Bible. Tell me about everything is in the Bible. It's amazing. It says, meat for the belly, and the belly for meat. But God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord. It says, this body is for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Verse 14. And God has both raised up the Lord, and will also raise up us by his own power. Hallelujah. These, things, these are powerful truths, but you know, not today. Next verse. Then it says, Know you not that your bodies, not your spirits, your bodies are the members of Christ. Don't you know that your bodies are the members of Christ? 
So we are not members of his body and of his bones and of his flesh, spiritually speaking alone, but bodily as well. In terms of body, this body that's sitting down here is a member of Jesus Christ. Whether it is the smallest toenail or the foot or whatever it is, it's still part of the body of Christ. Amazing. Then he says, no, you know, don't you know that your body, your bodies are the members of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of unhallowed? God forbid. Go down, go down to verse 19. First Corinthians 6, 19. What? Knowing not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost. Have you seen it? Your body, not your spirit, your body. Your spirit is the temple of the Holy Ghost as well. But then this body of yours is the temple of the Holy Ghost. How can the temple of the Holy Ghost be sick? How can the temple of the Holy Ghost be depressed? How can the temple of the Holy Ghost have HIV and die? You may have HIV now, but it's not going to kill you. Because your life is not dependent on blood. Your life is not dependent on the life of God. God wants you to be confident. God wants the children to be very confident in life. He doesn't want you to be depressed. Next verse. Verse 20. 1 Corinthians 6, 20. It says, for you are bought of the price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. It belongs to God. This body belongs. Your body is so important. This body that you got from your mama and your papa. Very, very important because the, the resurrection is going to happen to this body. This body is needed for the resurrected body. This body is what is glorified. When Jesus died and rose again, he went back to the same body he was giving birth into. He, did, he, he didn't know what, he didn't. He went back to it and came back to life with it. And it's in heaven with that same body, just that it is now glorified. It goes through walls now. That body can change from a young man to an old man. That's why when Jesus appeared to um, the disciples in John chapter 21, he appeared to them as an older man. They couldn't tell that it was him. That was when he appeared to the guys who were on their way to Emmaus in Luke chapter 23. They didn't know that it was him. They couldn't tell. He appeared as a different person. They were only known through breaking of bread. Hallelujah. But you need this body. You need this body. Hey. That is why he talks so much about fornication. But that is not my subject for today. I'm talking about the oneness that we have. The oneness. Say the oneness. And living from that oneness. Hallelujah. Living from what? That oneness. He wants us to live through Christ. He wants us to live through Jesus. He wants us to live through our consciousness of who we are in him. Of how, how one we are with him. He's a vine. We are what? He's a vine. We are. He's the head. We are. He's the head and we are the body. He's the foundation. We are the building. Hallelujah. Say I'm one with him. I'm one in mind. Yeah. First Corinthians chapter 2 verse 16. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now this is a very big thing. All the things I'm sharing with you are very, very big. They are, they are huge things. They are very, very, very big things that you need to stay on. If you think about just one of the scriptures for one week or two weeks, it will change your life. It will do something to you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So today, this morning, I want to explain some more concerning our union with him 
in different aspects of his life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. It's going to take a while, but I'll, I'll share some with you today. On Wednesday, I'll continue. On Sunday, I'll continue, okay? So today, I want to show you how one we are with him with respect to his death. His death. Say his death. Now, if you think about these things, you will have victory all the time. Okay? You will have victory all the time in every aspect of your life. If you are one with him in spirit, then why are you depressed? You should not be depressed. If you are one with him in mind, nothing should depress you. That boy leaving you should not be a problem for you to be depressed for the next five years. Do you like my message or you don't like my message? If you know you are one, Pastor Chris said something. He said, who broke your heart? Someone broke your heart? You said someone broke your heart? When Jesus is in your heart, who can break that heart? If Jesus is in your heart, who can break that heart? Ask your neighbor, if Jesus is in your heart. So which human being was able to break that heart? It cannot be broken. Maybe say your emotions have been tampered with, but not your heart. Say your emotions have been tampered with. Certainly not your heart. Wow. So the more you think about these things, how one you are with him, the more, the more successful you become. You are one with him. Paul even mentioned his oneness with him with respect to faith. So in Galatians 2.20, he says that, as for me, I'm crucified with Christ. You know, other version says, I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. He says, I'm living, my, my, my faith is the faith of the Son of God. Not my faith, it is his faith. Because we are one with him in faith. Can you imagine? Hallelujah. See, I'm not ordinary. His victory is my victory. I'll never be poor in my life. Why will I not be poor? Because he became poor so that I might be rich. Why will I never be poor? Because when he was here on earth, he was not poor. Even in his glory, he's not poor. And I'm one with him as he is in his glory now. So am I here on earth. They asked Jesus, what, might, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? Then he said, this is what you need to do. Believe. All you need to do is to believe in the one whom he has sent. Believe in the fact that what he did is yours. Okay? Tell neighbor, believe that what he did is yours. Everything he did was because of you. Are you talking to your neighbor? Or are you afraid of COVID? Tell your neighbor, everything he did was because of you. Tell the other neighbor, everything he did was because of you. Every act was because of you. Yeah. Every act of his was because of you. So I want us to examine his death. You know Jesus died on a certain day, right? Now, how did he die? What does that death mean for us? How united are we with him with respect to his death? And what benefit is it for us? How does it benefit us? How does his death benefit us? What does it do for us right now? 
in this earth in which we are living. Right now, in our decisions, in our activities, in every single thing that we do. I want to help, help you understand some few things, okay? Now, if you read in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, he starts showing you how united you are with him in his death. This is before you became born again. So all that I'm going to talk about is the history of the new creature. Actually, the new creature does not have a past. But because of human terms, the Bible shows us what things, how things were in the past. Do you see? Of the old man. So all I'm going to say is about the old man. Which is how you were before you got born again. I hope you get it. So when, when Jesus died, he died for a particular reason. There's something that happened in his death. Okay? He says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Meaning that immediately you become, immediately Christ died. Humanity died to sin. Let's go on, you see it. Then he says, don't you know that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death, meaning that we became one with him in his death. So his death was our death. When Jesus died, you died. Or the old man died. The death of Christ was the death of the old man. If you read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says that, for he has made him to be sin who knew no sin. He made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. How did he make Jesus sin who knew no sin? Jesus identified himself with us. In his death okay there's something called identification see identification the bible do you, do you understand i'm not talking about id card i'm not talking about voter id or ghana card or any of those things i'm talking about oneness becoming one with someone or becoming one with somebody you know marriage makes us one for instance i use marital terms to explain to you our oneness with christ the last time isn't it You can become one with somebody through marriage. Is it true? You can also become one with somebody through something called the laying on of hands. Okay? If you lay hands on somebody, you become one with the person. It's a spiritual reality. You see, the things of the spirit are not like the things of the physical. They are very different. Sometimes some things are similar, but most of the times things are, they are not the same. They are different. Now, if I lay hands on you like this, Naturally speaking, it doesn't make us one in any way. You always tap your friends, isn't it? But spiritually speaking, something happens when you lay hands with a certain consciousness. That's why the Bible says that lay hands suddenly on no man. Paul was writing to Timothy and he told him, lay hands suddenly on no man, lest you become a partaker of his sins. In other words, if I lay hands on this young man, and I have, I have laid hands on him to make him a reverend minister. He's a reverend minister in the house of God. He's now identified with me. His life is part of my life. And my life is part of his life. What happens to him happens to me. Yeah, First Timothy 5.22. Can you read it to me? One to go. Keep thyself, thyself pure. Have you seen it? Because when you lay hands on somebody to make him something, he is now identified with you. And it's an Old Testament um, concept which travels through the New Testament. So in the New Testament, there's a doctrine that is supposed to be taught called the doctrine of laying on of hands. If you go to our foundation school, you have taught concerning the doctrine of laying on of hands. How that you can impart certain spiritual things by laying on of hands onto someone. 
Do you get it? You can bring someone into your spiritual experience by laying hands on him. You can impart grace onto somebody by laying hands on him. You can impart blessings on somebody by laying on of hands. And laying on of hands is not only laying hands on the person's head. Even touching the person is laying on of hands. I remember last year, was it last year or last two years? Last two years, Bishop Doug laid hands on me. But he didn't lay hands on my head. I realized after three months that he had actually laid hands on me. Because he held my shoulders and was praying for me. But I, I, I didn't think he was laying hands on me. After three months, I realized, ah, the man was actually laying hands on me. Amazing. Because I saw him doing it for somebody else. And I realized, that, oh, they have laid hands on me. I didn't know. And that's 2019 or 2018, one of them. Wow. So any form of touch is laying on a hands. So Jesus healed people through laying on of hands. He passed spiritual healing, spiritual health, which became physical through laying hands on people. A man who was a leper came to him and said, Lord, if you will, that can make me whole. And Jesus said, I will. Be thou made whole. And he touched him. The Bible says he touched him. When he touched him, the guy got healed. So touch is a means of laying on of hands. I hope you understand. Now, laying on of hands, like I said, has, it, it imparts identity. It makes you one with the person. Okay? So in the Old Testament, something was done. Um... In the Old Testament to take away sin from the congregation of Israel. So let's look at Leviticus chapter 6, 16. Leviticus. Do you know Leviticus is in the Bible? Ask your neighbor, do you know Leviticus is in the Bible? What do your neighbor say? Wow, it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. So I want us to read some portions, okay? Are you okay if I read some portions to you? Leviticus chapter 16 from verse 7. I want to show it to you so that I can explain it to you. Maybe we can read the um, BB or New King James Version if you have. Do you have NKJV? Yes, let's read NKJV. So Leviticus chapter 16 verse 7. He says, he shall take the two goats. He's talking about Aaron, the high priest. And what he was supposed to do is from two goats. Say two goats. <laughs> there were two goats that were given to him. To do something with them. Uh, it's a message. The two goats. It's a very powerful message. He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Next verse. Then he says, then Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats. He shall do, you know, casting lots. C, 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 Nanako, Tata, Bogoto, Bogoto, If it falls on this one, it means that this one will be chosen for the Lord. And this one will become the scapegoat. So two goats. Who will be my goats, please? Salasi, come. Abilities, come. We have a male goat and a female goat. We are blessed. So he said that the priest shall do something with the two goats. He is giving him two goats. He shall cast lots. Okay? He shall do that. And then if it falls on one, that one shall become the lost goat. So this is the lost goat, right? And then this shall become the scapegoats. So this is our new scapegoats. Okay? Now, God told Moses to pitch a tent to help with the, with purifying the children of Israel so that he can be in their midst. This is a summary of why God told him to pitch a tent so that he can be with them. But their sins would take him away from them. So in order to take away their sins, they needed to do a sacrifice every year. To purge them of their sins in their consciousness and also purge them uh, 
of their guilt before God. Okay, so he told him, take two goats, cast lots on them. The one that becomes, the one, whoever it falls on, will become the lost goat. Now, this goat will bear, will be killed, and the blood will be sent to the Holy of Holies. There were three parts of the tent that Moses pitched. There was a holy place, or the Holy of Holies, the holy place, and then the outer court. Okay? Now, the Ark of Covenant was sitting in the Holy of Holies, and it had two cherubims on it. And... Um, the blood of the goat was supposed to be put on the mercy seats upon which the two cherubims were sitting or two angels were sitting. The two cherubims had the eyes of, the, their eyes were described as the eyes of God. Their eyes represented the eyes of God. So when they see the blood, it's like God is seeing the blood. And God forgives Israel for one year. The following year, they have to come back and come and do a similar thing. They must find two goats to do lots. If it falls on the, the one goat, that goat is killed before the lord now when this goat is picked up this goat has the innocence of the goat okay becomes the innocence of israel because the goat has not done anything wrong he's been moving around eating in the in the in the town all of a sudden they have caught him they are going to kill him for doing nothing not for soup or anything but to use his blood for sacrifice ah what have i done wrong so the innocence of the Goats, it's called the lost goat, is transferred to the, the children of Israel. Please, you understand? And how is the innocence of the goat transferred to Israel? Through laying on of hands. So the, the, the priest will lay hands on the lost goat. And the innocence of that goat is transferred to Israel. You can read everything for yourself. It's all there. Okay, I'm just summarizing for you so we don't have to read everything. Then, the scapegoat, okay... So this one is killed. So you are killed. You are dead. Go and sit down. And the blood is taken to the Holy of Holies and sprinkled on the mercy seat. And when God sees the blood of the, the innocent blood of the lamb, he will say that, ah, my people are innocent for one year. Okay? Then on the scapegoat, the priest will lay his hands on the scapegoat and confess the sins of all of Israel. So that, that laying on of hands, it was, very, it was very long. You confess everybody's sin. Everybody's wrong. So the scapegoat has the sins of Israel placed on him. How do they communicate the sin on him? Through touch. He shall take some of the blood of the bow, go to the place where he shows us concerning. Go to verse 15. Go to verse 15. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the, temp- the people. Bring his blood inside the veil. Do with the blood as he did with the, bl- the blood of the bull. And sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. So this is the other goat, right? Uh-huh. Now, go down. Um, go to verse 17. Go to verse 18. Go to verse 19. 20. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place, the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. The live goat is the scapegoat now, right? Next verse. Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the goat, the live goat. Confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. So the scapegoat is sent into the wilderness and is torn into pieces. The sin of Israel, that represents the sin of Israel being taken away 
from the camp of Israel outside of the camp of Israel. How do they take their sin away? Through laying on of hands on their goats. Can you imagine? So you lay hands and the sin of Israel is transferred to the goat. Wow. So how did Jesus become identified with us in our sin? Because Jesus was perfect. Scapegoat. You are an able man. Come and take him into the wilderness. So a strong man will take the goat into the wilderness. And the goat will be torn into pieces by wild beasts. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So how did Jesus become identified? Remember, I mentioned 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21 to you, isn't it? It says he made him to be sin. He was made to be sin. The word made there is to become the very embodiment. He was, he was made sin. Who knew no sin? Jesus knew no sin. The way sin is imparted to a human being is through birth. If you are born through the sperm of a man, you are a sinner by virtue of your birth. Wow. Why? Because of what Adam did. Adam's sin is the sin of all humanity. Adam is the head of all humanity. And so his sin or his wrong was the wrong of all of humanity. We were all in Adam's loins. He only ate the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We were all inside him. You can say, oh, media, if I was there, I would have done something else. I wouldn't have eaten the fruit. You are lying. You would have eaten the fruit, eaten the tree, eaten the sand around it. You would have done more than Adam did, I tell you. What do you think about what I'm saying? So because of what Adam did, every man is a sinner. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Look at Romans 5. 12. There are so many places in the Bible where it shows it to us. Okay? Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world. As by what? One man. Sin entered into the world. And death by sin. And so death passed upon all men. For that all have sinned. Have you seen it? Why have all sinned? Because one man sinned. Who is that one man? His name is Adam. Why is the sinner sin? Because all of us were inside him. Next verse. For unto the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned. After the similitude. Let's read New King James. I'm sure it will say it some, in another way. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is the type of him who also come. So even though you did not do the sin he did, his sin is your sin because we're all in him when he did the wrong. So nobody from Adam could save humanity because Adam's children are born of sin for all have sinned and are fallen short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3 verse 23. I'm sure that's a popular scripture, isn't it? Romans 3 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Even a small child knows how to say some things. You don't need to teach them some things. They will start saying things all over the place. Is it true? It's true. Yeah. So nobody born of a man could redeem man or could take man out of. Nobody was innocent. Nobody could become a goat, an innocent goat, for his innocence to be imparted to humanity. Because everybody was not correct. So Jesus was born by the seed of God. Jesus is not the seed of man. There is no sperm from man that is involved in Jesus' conception. Hmm? Jesus' conception had nothing to do with the seed of the sperm of a human being. That's what makes him special. So he did not have the seed of sin inside him. He didn't. Hallelujah. So he was fit to be both the scapegoat and the innocent goat. 
So how was he made the scapegoat and the innocent goat? He became the innocent goat and the scapegoat through his baptism. So in John chapter 1, look at John chapter 1. Let's read from verse 27. John 1, 20. Let's read. 27 is fine, yeah. John 1, 20. This is John the Baptist talking. Now, John the Baptist was the son of a priest. His name was Zachariah. If you read in Luke chapter 1, you see it. Zachariah was a priest. So John the Baptist was also a priest. But at that time, the priestly service had become so corrupt, God did not want him to minister in that particular line. So he took him to the wilderness. And he came back empowered to do his ministry as God had showed him. So he says, it is he who coming after me is preferred before me whose sandal strap I am not worthy to lose. This is John the Baptist talking, okay? Follow me carefully. Turn about, follow me carefully. Next verse. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John was hyped, was priest, isn't it? And he laid hands on Jesus through the baptism. When you are baptizing somebody, you lay hands, you can't say, go in yourself and come out yourself. No, someone needs to baptize you. Someone needs to immerse you and bring you out. So John the Baptist held him and immersed him and brought him out. As he held him and immersed him, he laid hands on him. And hence made him the scapegoat and also the, the innocent goat and also the scapegoat. So he called him the Lamb of God. He says, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Next verse. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. Next verse. I did not know him, but, he, that, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. So he says, I came baptizing with water because of his revelation, so that everybody will know him. Next verse. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending upon from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. Next verse. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom ye see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Next verse. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Have you seen it? He said, I have seen and testified that this, Jesus, is the Son of God. Next verse. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. Next verse. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. So he described him in two, in two fashions. This one is different from the one in 29. This one says, The Lamb of God. That is the innocent Lamb whose blood is put on the mercy seat for the atonement or for the remission of the sins of many. And then the other one, 29, he says that the Lamb of God, that taketh away the sin of the world. The scapegoat was to take away the sin of the, the people. Isn't it? So Jesus was both the scapegoat and the innocent goat. Hallelujah. And by the laying on of hands, he became identified with our sin. With the sin of humanity. Okay? So when he, di- when, when he was dying, he was dying as you. Can you imagine? When he was dying, he was dying as who? As you. And the scripture show it to us in different places. There are so many places where I can show you. So let's go back to Romans chapter 6. We're reading verse 1. We read verse 2. Verse 3. Now we are in verse 4. Romans chapter 6 from verse 4. It says, therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. Let's read NKJV. Okay, just for the purpose of understanding. I always read my Bible in King James. So that's what uh, is very 
is it, it gives you all the sides. But then, the NKGV is lighter to understand so that you can take away the D and down and D and whosoever and all those things. Hallelujah. Is it a good thing? He says, therefore, we are buried. We are what? Buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Next verse. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death. Have you seen it? We are united together in the what? In the likeness of his death. His death, we were united with him in his death. Just as we were united with Adam in his disobedience, we are also now united with Jesus Christ in his obedience. Just as Adam was doing the wrong and you were not there physically, but it was imputed to you. The same way Jesus' sacrifice, okay, is imputed to you because he died as you. He died in your place. Your sins was on him and you were made one with him in his death. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Next verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man, or the old us, our old nature, was crucified with him. So when Jesus was crucified, it was not just Jesus who was crucified. It was you and I who were crucified as well. Why? Because we are united with him. So we are united with him in his crucifixion, in his death, in his burial. When he went to hell, you went to hell with him. That is why if you are born again, you will not go to hell. Why? Because you've been there already. How did you go there? You went there in Jesus. See, I'm not going to hell. Because Jesus has gone there for me. So what happened to all the Christians who keep having dreams of them going to hell? It's because you don't know what has been done for you. That is why I'm telling you, so that you'll be confident in life. You see yourself going to hell all the time. Because of something you did or did not do. What will take you to hell has been dealt with in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Someone said, hey, then it means I can do whatever I want to do. And everything will be fine. Let me, let me give you an analogy. All those who think like that have not yet understood what Jesus did. The Bible says that Jesus died. He said, Paul said, for we thus judge that if one died, then we're all dead. Now he died so that those who live should no longer live unto themselves, but unto him that died. Hmm? That's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse um, 15, 13, 14, and 15. Look at it. 2 Corinthians 5. Let's read 14. 14. Go to 14. For the love of Christ compels us, because we, we judge thus, thus, that if one died for all, then all died. Who is that one that died for all? His name is Jesus. Who did Jesus die for? He died for people who were not correct. He died for sinners. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God commended his love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. Hmm? But God demonstrates his own love toward us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Have you seen it? While we were what? So who did Jesus die for? He died for sinners. He died for who? Did he die for good people? He died for sinners. So if you feel you are not good, you are the one he died for. Wow. Look at verse 8, verse 6. Romans 5, verse 6. 
Romans 5 verse 6. For when we were still without strength, still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus' blood is for ungodly people. Exactly. That is why he came. He died for the sinner, for the sins of the world. That's why he came. Please, you understand? He died so that nobody will go to hell. Wow. He is the sacrifice for sin. First Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Look at First Peter 2, 24. Very beautiful scriptures all over, written all over. So we are identified with him in his death. Okay? His death, he died to sin once. Therefore, you are also dead to sin once. What takes people to hell is not the activities they do. It is the nature that is in them. What they are is what takes them to hell. Not what they do. It is not the acts that take people to hell, but the content that takes people to hell. And Jesus came to deal with both the content and the act. Amazing. Look at this. Read this to me. One to go. Have you seen it? It says, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that is on the cross that we having died to sins so when Jesus died you also died to sin so you are not a sinner hey. are you born again yeah. the qualification is your new birth when you become born again you are not a sinner any longer the reason why you keep doing foolish things is because you feel that you're a sinner you feel that Christ's death was for someone else but not for you he died for your sin. He died to take away sin. He died the just for the unjust. Look at First Peter three eighteen. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. He did that's why he can bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. The just for the unjust. He suffered so that you will not suffer. Through his death, your sin has been taken away. Your sin has been dealt with. The nature of sin has been taken away. Apart from the nature of sin being taken away, even the activity of sin has also been taken away. So when, when, when you've gotten to know that Jesus died for your sin, the, the ultimate is to live for him, not to live for yourself. And that's what Paul mentioned in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 and 15. He says, For the love of Christ constrained us, for we thus judge that if one died, then we're all dead. And he died so that they would live, should no longer live unto themselves, but unto him that died and rose again. That's what he says. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge, we thus judge, that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Next verse, verse 15. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer, should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Have you seen it? This is the natural response of your acceptance of what he did for you on the cross of Calvary. You start living for him, not living for yourself. Because he just died for sin, he has taken care of all my sins, therefore I'll fool around and do whatever I want to do. No, that is why some people are afraid of us preaching what we are preaching now. Because they feel that we'll give people license to do whatever they want to do. Do you see? So they try to bring in the law to curb God's people. If you do this, this is what will happen to you. If you do that, this is what will happen to you. If you do this, you'll not go to heaven. So people feel that they will not go to heaven because of something they did or did not do in their past or in their present or what they will do. So they are afraid. They are afraid of God. They are afraid of life. They are afraid of everything. 
They are in fear all the time because they did an abortion. <laughs> because they acted porn and put it on their Snapchat. Jesus died for the sin of the world, including yours. So whatever you did or did not do makes no difference. He died. He's a sacrifice for sin. And he sacrificed himself for you. Hallelujah. He took away sin so that you live for God. You live, for, you live in righteousness. That's why he did it. His blood extends to whoever for whatever they did. Yeah, so some people feel that, oh, because God has forgiven me through Christ, I can also do whatever I want to do. You don't know, you've not yet understood what he has done for you. It's just like uh, going to the ATM, okay? And you know you have 100 Ghana cities inside the ATM. So as you are coming to punch, you actually need 100 cities. But if you, not, if you notice, you can't take all the 100. You should leave some small money inside. Some five cities which must, must. But you need, you need 100 cities. So you just decide to put your faith to work. And then you, you put your card in, you punch 100 cities. And then the 100 cities comes. Then you, you punch that they should give you a receipt. Okay? They should give you a receipt to see your available balance. When you check the available balance, you realize that you had one million dollars, one million CDs more. You had one million CDs extra. Or let's use, let's use dollars because it is, everybody uses it forever. One million dollars more is left in your account. What will you do? What will you do? What will you do? Hey! Party after party. Hey! It will not be easy at all. You will start jubilation, isn't it? But then your joy will not be full because you don't know where the money came from. Is it true? You may be a mistake. So your joy will not be full. Your joy will not be full. Now, the next thing you do after rejoicing like that will be to check with the bank to see where it came from. So you ask, um, I'm seeing $1 million in my account. Please, is it a mistake or is it not a mistake? Then they'll say, oh, we, we, we are not seeing anything in our accounts to show that it's a mistake. Actually, a certain man came and said because of his love for you, he's giving you a million dollars. So he credited your account with a million dollars. What will you do? What will you do? Your joy will now be full, isn't it? You will start rejoicing properly, isn't it? You will, you will celebrate big time. But the next thing you will do will be to look for the man who gave you that one million dollars and ask him why did you do that for me a lot of children of god who are just celebrating the first the first one they've not yet found out who or how whether it is legal for them to celebrate if you find out that it's legal and you know who it is you look for that person and appreciate that person you live your life for that person if that person says oh i want you to go and go and buy me water will you say that ah ah what are you talking about? why should i buy water what do you mean no you will live your life in appreciation of that person. Do you see? So that is why I said in the beginning, stop looking at yourself. Start looking at Jesus. Everything is about him. He did all that he did for you. He died for you so that you will live 
in righteousness so that you live in glory. That's why he died. And you are united with him in his death. His death is your death. When he went to the Bible, says he descended lower. He went to hell. Why? For you. So that you will not go low. You will not go down when you die. Hallelujah. Let me show you one last thing. Hebrews chapter 9 from verse 1. Hebrews 9 from verse 1. If you understand, you appreciate him. You will love him. You will live your life for him. When you, when you are tempted to smoke, you look at the smoke like this. Ah, Jesus died for me. So that I will live for him. What is this smoke compared to Jesus? What is this emotion that I will get? This excitement that I will get? This high? How can this high be com compared to what Jesus did for me? The most high is a better high. The most high is a better high. So you put it away. God is gracious, though. God is kind. God is not looking for you to destroy you. He's looking for you to make your life better. That is why he identified himself in death for you. In Hebrews chapter 9, from verse 1, let me read it to you and I'll explain it to you, okay? He says, Then indeed, when the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and earthly sanctuary, he's talking about the earthly sanctuary that Moses pitched, the one I described. So he's going to show you the various things that were inside that tabernacle. So he says, for a tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was the lampstand, the table. So there was, in the holy place, there was a place, there was something in the holy place called the lampstand. Okay? Or menorah. Hallelujah. Then in that same place, there was another thing called the table of shoe bread. Or the table of showing bread. They kept bread there to show, uh, just for show. Basically for show. You see, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. So that was a holy place. Next verse. And behind the veil, so there was a veil. And then behind that veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. That is the holy, holy of holies. Next verse. Then it says, the holy of holies had the golden censer and the ark of covenant overlaid on all sides with gold. So the ark of covenant was there in the holy of holies. Before you enter the holy of holies, you see the golden censer. Okay, for upon which incense was always given and all of that. Then you, when you enter to the veil, you see the Ark of Covenant. And then he's describing the Ark of Covenant to you. He says, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pots that had the manna. So inside the Ark of Covenant, so the Ark of Covenant was sitting down like that, overlaid on it was the, the, the cherubims, right? Looking at each other with the... Mercy seats. They were sitting on the mercy seats looking into the covenant, into the Ark of Covenant. But then the mercy seat was a cover, was a cover of the Ark of Covenant. Now, inside the Ark of Covenant, there were three things. The pot of gold that had manna. Okay? One day when the manna came, you know, just God gave them manna in the Old Testament. One of the days when manna came, God told Moses to get a pot of gold, a small pot of gold, and put some of the manna inside and put it inside the Ark of Covenant. Now, that manna never went bad. Every manna was supposed to go bad after a day. But that manna never went bad. It was there forever. So he's, saying, he's letting you know that that pot of gold was inside the, the Ark of Covenant. Apart from that, Aaron's rod, that budded. You know Aaron's rod? Aaron's rod one day budded. They put it in front of the Ark of Covenant overnight, and it budded because there was a challenge. They were challenging Aaron's authority from God. So all the 12 tribes brought their rods and they laid it before the Lord. 
And overnight, Aaron's rod budded and bore fruits. Over, do you know a rod? Dead wood. It bore fruit overnight. Showing that it was him that had been called by God to be the priest. It was God's priest or God's authority. Then, the tables of the covenant, so the Ten Commandments that Moses brought from the Mount of Sinai, were also inside the Ark of Covenant. And it was overlaid with the mercy seats, with the cherubim sitting on the mercy seats. Now, all these three things represent Israel's rebellion, or man's rebellion. All of them, every one of them represents one aspect of man's rebellion. The pot of gold represents the rebellion of, of human beings against God's provision. God gave them manna. When they ate the manna for some days, they said that, Moses, we are tired of manna. We want to go back to Israel, to Egypt, where they, there was garlic and onions. We like what was there. There was meat. What was this manna, manna, manna that we have been eating all this while? God was providing for them, but they rejected God's provision. God got angry, you know that. They rejected God's provision completely. The other one, which is Aaron's rod that budded, was the rejection of Israel of God's authority. I just described it to you. They said Aaron and Moses were not sent from God. So they appointed themselves someone to take them back to Egypt. They were always blasting and insulting Moses. To the extent that Moses got angry with them one day and God got angry with Moses for getting angry with them. Hey. Then the last one, which is the tablets of covenant, represents man's rejection of God's righteousness and God's standard. When the, the day that the, the, the Ten Commandments came, that same day, they broke the very first commandment. When Moses was coming down, they were worshipping a golden cow. Meanwhile, the first commandment was that thou shalt worship no other god. They were worshipping another god right there and then. God got angry with them, isn't it? So all these things represented all of humanity's foolishness. Rejection of God's provision, rejection of God's authority, rejection of God's standards and righteousness. And holiness. God told them, keep them in the Ark of Covenant. That is where God said to him. He says, even though I see your wrongs, when I see the blood on the mercy seat, that blood prevents me from seeing any of your wrongs. Because of the blood. So long as the blood is there, I will not see any of your wrongs. Wow. Now, whose blood... Death, blood represents death. Whose blood is on the mercy seat for us now? It's the blood of Jesus Christ. So if you go down, go to verse 12. He says, not with the blood of cow. Go up so that we can understand him. Go to verse 10. That we can understand him more. Verse 11. He says, it was symbolic. Okay, verse 11 is good. He says, but Christ. Say, but Christ. But Christ came as high priest to the good things to come. With a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is not of, his, not of this creation. Next verse, verse 12. Then it says, not with the blood of goats and cows. In the Old Testament, we're using the blood of goats and cows, which lasted for just a year. It says, he didn't enter into the heavenly holy of holies for you with the blood of goats and cows, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. He obtained eternal redemption for you. Through his blood. So his death, we are united in his death because his death brings us redemption. His death brings us salvation. Hallelujah. And because of his blood, when the Lord sees the blood, he passes over. Just like he passed over the children of Israel in, in Egypt. When every firstborn son was supposed to die, when they saw the blood, 
when they saw the blood on the posts, eh, they put some of the blood on top, some on the side, and some on the side, representing the cross. They put the blood of the lamb on the post like that. One on top, one on the side, and one on the side of their doors. And when the angel of death was passing by and saw the blood, he passed over every house that had the blood. He says, when I see the blood, because of Jesus' blood, all your wrongs are not seen by God. All your wrongs, including the one you did intentionally. Including, especially the ones you did intentionally, are passed over by God. So we are united in his death so that we can live free in our consciousness. Live free of sin in our consciousness and the effect of sin. You know what sin does? Sin puts you into fear. Yes, that's what sin does. Sin makes you afraid of God. Afraid of other people because you sin against people. You don't want them to see that you did something. That's why you hide to do things. Every, almost every wrong thing is done in darkness. Is it true? Every wrong thing you can do, you will want to hide. Why did you close that door when you went into the room with the lady? You don't want the whole world to see. But God saw it. And when God saw it, he said, because of the blood of Jesus, I am not seeing it. Now, you have to learn how to live in appreciation of the one whose blood was used for your salvation and for your redemption. So that you can live a better life. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. God loves you. Tell about God loves you. That is why he's united with you. And that's why he's talking to you like he's talking to you. Hallelujah. Say I will live for his glory. I will not live for myself. That's why he said, shall we continue to sin so that grace may abound? Then he says, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin? Brother, we are dead to sin. And we are now alive to God. See, I'm alive to God. I'm alive to God. God bless you for listening. We pray that the word of God will be rooted and grounded in your heart as you give attention to the word. Kindly follow Pastor T and Love Economy Church on all social networks for more of God's word. Don't forget to subscribe to the Pastoti podcast. Simply search for Pastoti on any podcast app. Plug in and enjoy God's word. Visit our website at loveeconomychurch.org for more information. God bless.